0: Welcome to the Supervisory Development Course podcast from the University of Minnesota. This episode is adapted from a webinar that aired on February 27, 2019. The podcast discusses the challenges of managing and evaluating performance in the context of the University of Minnesota and includes a panel discussion with experts from the University of Minnesota Talent and Performance Management Working Group. For more information and resources, visit Supervising umen.edu and explore module two on managing and evaluating performance. Welcome everyone to our webinar today. We'll go ahead and get started by introducing our presenters. I'm Emily Tichich. I'll be facilitating the session today. For the second half of today's webinar, I'll be joined by three of my colleagues from Leadership and Talent Development to get some important perspectives on common questions in performance management at the U. With me here, Brandon Sullivan, Senior Director of LTD, Donna Sadoff, Senior LTD Consultant, and Christina McGuire, LTD Consultant. Great, so now that we've gotten through the housekeeping, let's move into our topic. Welcome everyone, welcome again. Thank you for attending our webinar today on performance management. It's going to be a good one. So, as we asked earlier in the chat, what comes to mind when you hear performance management? If you haven't already, please go ahead and type your ideas into the chat now. Great, conversation, yes. Performance evaluations, absolutely. Communication, good. I like to see that communication. Yes, professional development, good. Accomplishments, good. Thinking about those goals. Coaching and feedback, good. Helping folks be successful. Mentorship, good, I like to see that too. Awesome, and if you want to, you can scroll through to see what your other participant colleagues Have also been chatting retention oh very nice accountability good thanks everyone let's move to our objectives today for today's session the goal of this webinar for performance management is first to explore why this is so hard what is and of course what is the reality of performance management at the u and what are the main challenges facing u of m supervisors we'll also spend some time identifying some of the best practices of what works in performance management And then, of course, the most important thing is, what can you do? And so we'll start thinking about the ways you can take action to improve performance management for you, your department, or unit. And it's at that point in the third part, what can you do, that will bring in the experts to help us work through some common issues. So, performance management at the U. Why is this so hard? Here are some of the themes we've heard about in recent years. Uh, People have told us it's a burdensome administrative process that's required. Yeah. Supervisors tell us they take a lot of time creating annual goals, only to see them become irrelevant or outdated, yep, that's a big one. Supervisors don't know how to rate employees without it leading to a very challenging and defensive conversation. We also hear that sometimes department forms or systems are complex and confusing and they take a long time to fill out, so that's a lot of effort. We also hear supervisors don't know how to keep their high performing employees motivated, that's very common. In addition, supervisors don't want to appear like they're favoring certain people. Sometimes that gets in the way of an honest evaluation. And of course, supervisors, the biggest one, they feel like they just don't have time. While all of these are very valid and very real reasons why performance management can be ineffective and frustrating at the U, there is an underlying reason that we need to look at. And I wonder if this takes you by surprise. Fear of conflict. Fear of conflict can be an underlying reason why performance management feels ineffective. It's easy to fall into these excuses about avoiding performance management because it's our natural desire to avoid conflict. There's an unspoken culture here at the U to avoid conflict, and sometimes people perpetuate this without even realizing it. This avoidance feeds into weak performance management for two reasons. First, giving critical feedback is hard right? People get defensive and so it's tempting to tolerate a problematic behavior and that might sound familiar to you. Second, giving positive feedback to some and not others feels like singling people out. These are both valid concerns. So does this mean we should not manage performance? Well, obviously that's a rhetorical question. Of course not. But what works? And so that's what we're going to move into now how can you make a process easier and more effective without perpetuating this culture of conflict avoidance at this point we have a chat question for you true or false writing and delivering a better performance review will help improve performance so if you would please in the chat box now please type true if you agree with the statement and false if you disagree oh lots of i see lots of true possibly <laughs> i see lots of trues and some falses. maybe yeah Question is ambiguous. Yeah, we apologize for that. (laughs) We think it's a good question. Maybe it appears ambiguous. Okay, at this point you've had a chance to think about this and think about your true or false. So in order to think about this, um, if you said true, we see where you're coming from. But if you said false, you're right. Why? Because the evaluation or review is the last stop in the process. By the time you get there, you can't improve. Imagine a friend of yours was training for a marathon, and the bulk of their training regimen involved practicing crossing the finish line. Sounds weird, right? What would you think? It probably seems a little silly to practice the last step of the race before training for the 26 miles before that moment. So can you see the connection with this metaphor to performance management? The performance review is the last step in the process of performance management. There are many steps that come before that that influence performance. I hope that makes sense. Let's look at these steps and what are some practices that have really been proven to work. If you watched our previous webinar or a short video that we sent out in the registration email, you already know that effective performance management involves three stages. Goal setting, there on the left, ongoing check-in conversations, and finally the performance evaluation. It may seem like it's more work, but it's work that is evenly distributed throughout the year, and not a spike at the end when you're struggling to remember the goals to write up the review. And that might sound familiar too. Let's take a look at what works and what are some common missteps of each of these three phases. In goal setting, what works? Setting three to five broad goals at the beginning of the year and setting short term goals throughout the year based on the nature of the work. Next, this allows goals to be flexible as priorities might change throughout the year. So having flexible goals. Finally, make sure that goals are challenging so the progress is meaningful. These goals can be attained, but will require significant efforts. So challenging and meaningful. Think about whether these goals would allow for learning and feedback to develop and grow. We have a quick guide to goal setting that goes into more details about the process of goal setting, how to set goals so they provide foundation for coaching and feedback for the upcoming year. And I'm sure a lot of you are already in touch with that. But if not, check out our quick guide. What doesn't work in goal setting? Well, this one seems obvious, but I think it's worth saying. Don't forget to set goals. Next, don't make goals that are too easy. These would be like your kind of check-the-box tasks. And also include goals and including goals that are not challenging enough to support growth and development. So kind of the opposite of what we just looked at. Thirdly, and this might come as a surprise, keep in mind that SMART goals as annual goals aren't always appropriate. They sometimes focus on results that aren't meaningful, that are changed too quickly and consequently are forgotten. What happens is over-engineered goals can become outdated in less time than it took to create them. Let's move on to check-ins. Check-ins are a huge component of performance management. So what actually works? This is simple. Don't overthink it. So as, as you see on the slide there, first is frequent. And I know we say this all the time, but weekly to monthly. For most units or colleges at the U, the best practice is to have weekly check-ins. And I think why can be very clear. If that doesn't make sense for your direct reports, check-ins should occur monthly at a minimum. Second, revisiting and updating goals during these check-ins. And then of course, discussing progress and expectations. Finally, offering support and coaching. So that's what works with check-ins. And again, I hope what you're seeing on the screen or on the slide there is a lot of what you're already doing and some of that common sense because having regular check-ins is important. As I said, best practice really is weekly. If that amount seems overwhelming, that's really an opportunity to find a more effective method that works for you and your direct reports that still involves regular check-ins. We do have a quick guide to assessing performance, potential, and readiness to help you do this. So if you haven't checked that out, again, it's the quick guide to assessing performance, potential, and readiness. In this case, you might wanna focus your check-ins around sustaining, reinforcing, and recognizing performance and developing skills that would help your high potential employees tackle a more complex project or assignment. Regarding what doesn't work with check-ins, and this is just some reminders. First, not having any conversations other than the annual review. This is an easy thing to fall into. It is, it doesn't work. It doesn't make check-ins effective. Second, avoiding candid feedback. Check-ins are a time for honesty. And third, of course, focusing only on problem performers. This is a big one. Uh, It doesn't work to spend most of your time as a supervisor on the poor performers. This is what a lot of people do because it seems necessary, but this is not effort well spent. Take a look at your high performers. These are the people that already are very engaged and committed to do their work. Do they have capacity to develop skills needed for a larger role or take on more complex projects and assignments? In other words, assess them for their potential. Let's take a minute here and see why addressing development is important. As we've already mentioned, there's a tendency to focus on a problem performance. But it's crucial to remember to attend to your high performing, high potentials, because if you don't, This is important. If you don't, research tells us they will eventually leave. For example, a survey done by the Center for Creative Leadership showed that while high potentials are more engaged in their work, they might also be actively seeking other employment opportunities. This particular survey found that 33% of informally identified high potentials actively seek new employment versus 14% of formally identified. So the takeaway is that recognizing them as a high potential is important. The more high potentials are aware that you see them as high potential and able to take on more responsibility, the more likely they are to stay. Also, think about kinds of opportunities you provide for high potentials. It's not only about the monetary rewards, it can also include progressively more complex assignments, exposure to leadership opportunities and leaders, uh, more flexibility. In fact, money's not the main motivator for most high potentials. More important is getting greater responsibility having opportunities to do interesting work that has an impact. And that makes sense, doesn't it? Learning about their interests and aspirations can help to provide opportunities that retain and motivate high potential direct reports. I hope that makes sense. Okay. to sum up, the first two stages of performance management, goal setting and check-ins, is what makes performance management effective in the first place. This is where the bulk of the work happens, setting meaningful goals, adjusting as we go, having productive coaching conversations, the last step there is what is commonly thought of as performance management, and in fact is a performance review, that evaluation. So let's take a look at what some of these best practices are. Performance evaluation is the final step of the process. So in essence, back to our metaphor, you've made it to the finish line. Here's what works. Giving feedback throughout the year. I know you know this already. Next, evaluating accomplishments and impact of the direct report's actions. That's important. So not just looking at what they did, but what the impact was too. Third, getting input from the employee and other key stakeholders on their perspectives on their accomplishments. Lastly, using specific examples to evaluate how they achieved their results. This is where the check-ins can be helpful because it's difficult to remember all the details of someone's work. Check-ins give you regular opportunity to revisit and become familiar with their goals and performance. Here's what doesn't work in performance evaluation. I like this one. It's so important. Feedback should never be a surprise. If the feedback is new, that means the employee didn't hear it or it wasn't delivered. If the evaluation, so next, if the evaluation is too complicated, it doesn't work. Some examples are if the form is too long, if there are too many behavioral competencies being evaluated, or if there are too many steps in the evaluation process. Next, self-ratings for employees don't always work because they create defensiveness and they can distract from talking about performance. Lastly, it also doesn't work if tools drive performance evaluation. The tech can't correct a poor process it's always important to design the process that works first before bringing in the tech to support it. The best processes are simple and based on these best practices. In the spirit of simplifying the performance review form, we at SDC are working on a simple two-page form that will be available university-wide. It will be available soon, so stay tuned. Also in the Quick Guide to Performance Evaluation, we give more information about the steps in writing and delivering performance evaluation, some of the including some of the important context and how to address some of the common challenges. So if you haven't checked out that quick guide, you can do that too. Great. So at this point, we know about these best practices. Uh, of course, I think the reason you're attending this webinar is because you want to manage performance more effectively. We all do. We also want to have more meaningful conversations with our direct reports. So what gets in the way? In other words, why aren't we just doing it? We have a quick multi-question poll for you. So there's four questions. The questions are, what happens if you don't, number one, write and deliver annual performance review? Number two, what happens if you don't have regular check-ins? Number three, what happens if you don't have quality check-ins? And number four, what happens if you don't set meaningful goals? So your choices are A, nothing happens, B, my supervisor follows up with me. C, it affects my performance evaluation. And D, it affects my career opportunities. Okay, so if you would please answer as honestly as you can in the poll. Okay, you should be able to see the results there on your screen and you can see that many of you have responded in many different ways. Nothing happens or uh, your supervisor follows up with you or it affects your performance evaluation or your career opportunities, you know, positively or negatively, great. One of the things that I hope, one of the things I hope that comes to the surface here is depending on what department or unit you're in, there isn't always built-in accountability for any of these, except number one. So number one is will definitely be the time that any supervisor or any manager would notice if you haven't written and delivered your annual, annual performance review. So in other words, if you don't do two, three, or four, again, depending on what department or unit you're in, there may not be any accountability for that. This is why performance management can be seen as difficult. If you do have regular or quality check-ins, there isn't always recognition for this. So it's very challenging. There may not be that built-in accountability, like I said, in your college or in your unit. So it's up to you as a supervisor to hold to these best practices because that's what effective performance management looks like. And you owe it to yourself and your direct reports to learn how to provide this, or to continue learning how to provide this. At this point in our webinar, as I mentioned earlier, we have some people here um, to speak with us about some of these topics, and the the question, of course, is what can you do? So we're going to turn it over to our experts, Donna, Christina, and Brandon. They're going to answer your questions that have come from uh, feedback and evaluations about performance management and they'll give you tips on how to imp- implement that, you know, that. what works in your current supervisory role. Currently, they, three of them, are part of a system-wide talent and performance management working group that is looking at how to improve performance management practices at the U. Before we get started, can, you, can any of you tell us a little bit about the focus of the group's work?
1: Sure, I can speak to that a little bit. Great. So, uh, currently, and, and many employees at the university actually don't know this, Uh, Performance management is determined locally. So the form that you use for your performance review, the tools and the process that you use, whether you use a technology platform or not, that's determined at the local level. Um, And so that creates a lot of different practices, some of which are effective, some of which maybe aren't. And there's been a lot of advances in the last few years in performance management and our understanding in the world of what works and what doesn't. And so this group is coming together. It's a a group of HR directors across the system, and and we're part of that, to really identify what are some common practices that we could put in place system-wide to improve performance management, make it more effective, maybe less painful, that kind of thing.
0: Thank you, and I wonder if that was new for a lot of our listeners, that performance management is something that's developed on a local level. That's, That's important to remember. Great, thank you. So while we're, while we're listening from our experts, I would encourage you, participants, to feel free to submit any questions you have in the Q&A so we can address whatever it is that you're wondering about. So Donna, if we can, we'll start with you. Sure. So one of the questions that a lot of people have asked over the years that we hear about in the evaluations and feedback is there's clearly, like, based on what we talked about today, what we've talked about in previous sessions, there's clearly a lot to think about when we think about performance management but I think one thing that people can get stuck on is like, you know, I wanna do all of this, but I have to kind of start somewhere. So if, in your opinion, where would you encourage people to start? Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, that's a a great question, Emily, thank you. So um, I think that the one thing that really can be a game changer for supervisors and employees is based on the quality of the conversations between the two of them. And you know, one of the purposes of a performance review is to check in with an employee, if you're a supervisor, Uh, But this conversation is not terribly helpful if the only time you do it is in, you know, April or May of each year. So, um, and you spoke to this earlier, but I really think those ongoing conversations um, throughout the year is the cornerstone of performance management. I believe if you do that well, the rest will sort of fall into place. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it just, it allows supervisors to get in the habit of checking in with their employees in progress toward their goals, how they align with the broader department team goals. Um, It's also a chance to level set with employees about what's going well for them, what they'd like to improve. But the other thing, or and the other thing is, it's a great opportunity for a supervisor to ask the employee how they, the supervisor, Mm is actually doing how they can help and just invite suggestions for ways in which they might do something better and that might not be something that supervisors are used to at at this point but it is helpful and it helps create more of a two-way conversation Mm -hmm. it's not all the supervisor talking with the employee and then just one more thing i want to mention is you know one of the most stressful potentially one of the most stressful and disengaging things for employees is to not have clarity about what's expected of them um, and to not get feedback about how they're doing. So just really developing that ongoing practice of having, and you mentioned weekly, um, you know, even, I'll just say periodically, I think is, is really so important.
0: I, so I, I think everything you're saying makes sense. And probably to our participants, too, makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. It's very common sense. We know it's best practice. Yeah. So why don't, in your opinion, And this is kind of looking for a little bit of solidarity. Mm -hmm. Why don't people do this? You know, Mm -hmm. what gets in the way of them having these conversations? Mm -hmm. It sounds like such common sense.
2: You know, I would say it's simple but not easy. (laughs) And it is developing a new behavior, which, you know, as we know, always feels really uncomfortable at first. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, you mentioned a bit about this earlier, too, about why people don't do it. Uh, when you're developing something new it feels a little intimidating at first I don't know how to talk to my employee a supervisor might think um, or they might think they have to do it perfectly yeah. or you know they're gonna somehow the the employee is going to misinterpret what they're saying or honestly I'm guessing what a lot of the supervisors online right now are thinking is when do I have time to do this? Of course, yeah. Um, you know, especially if you're feeling overloaded already. But I think um, it, it's super important, and it's actually a really good investment in time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, think about the stress of doing a pile of performance reviews in April <laughs> or May, and then think about sort of. Um, you know having those paced a bit more throughout the course of the year and, and it actually becomes um, a less stressful event then because at the end then you're just summarizing these conversations um, and and also you know another thing that gets in the way is you know we kind of touched on it earlier conflict avoidance
0: I was just thinking about that. You know, it really comes naturally to have conversations with some of your direct reports because of the type of uh, personalities or familiarity or friendliness that you might share with them. Mm-hmm. Could you say a word about, like, how, you know, what is it that supervisors need to be thinking about when they're thinking about those direct reports that they work with that are a little bit more, you know, there's a little bit maybe more conflict or more uh, more difficulty in kind of getting that that conversation going with them mm-hmm. kind of it doesn't feel so easy
2: or simple that's right um, no that's that's another really good question and I think one of the most important pieces to it is that um, if there can be clarity with regard to expectations and mm-hmm. so the supervisor really needs to think about okay this is what the is responsible here's what I expect and then help um, clarify that with the employee so that at least they're on the same page there yeah. Um, If the conflict is about how they're doing it, that's another conversation. But I think just the what is the most important thing to clarify at first. And, And just to be for the supervisor to be well prepared for the conversation.
0: Yes, I think you totally hit the nail on the head there. You know, it's not just about kind of going with it; it's about preparing, thinking about what you want to say. You don't want to wing it. No, especially until it becomes that habit. That's right. And then it becomes a little bit more natural. Exactly. Thank you, Donna. I'm Mm -hmm. sure there are supervisors in our audience today have are thinking like, what if this or what Mm if that? So I would encourage um, supervisors to write those questions into the Q and A, and then we'll address those at the end um, of our panel. Sounds good. Thank you, Donna. Mm -hmm. Christina. One of the questions that I was hoping that you could talk about today, based on your experience and your expertise here at you, U, is again something that a lot of supervisors have asked us about in many different ways, so this question can take many different, uh, many different versions, but basically what it gets down to is what does performance management look like when it's done well? Sure. Could you talk to that? Yeah, Great. absolutely. So, Um, Effective performance management is about um, managing the performance. So it really starts with the foundational aspects that we've been talking about and that Donna elaborated on um, as far as like setting the goals, making sure that you know what success looks like and that's shared with your employee, it's about the quick check-ins throughout the year and then it's also about the evaluation at the end of the year. Um, But to be even more successful um, and more effective performance management, it's about differentiation of talent. Um, so it's about supervisors really understanding their talent pool. So where are which employees are the high performers? Which employees are the average, really solid performers? And then which employees are the <coughs> the lower performers as well? Um, and then understanding and intentionally supporting um, the different levels of talent. Often a lot of time and energy is spent on the low performers mm-hmm. and handling those mm-hmm. issues. Um, where effective performance management is more about shifting that focus and that energy across, and making sure that high performers are also supported um, as well. Um, and then along with that, too, it is taking the conversation about performance management beyond just that rating or that label that mm-hmm. goes with the rating. Mm-hmm. So it is providing that narrative and that communication, which we saw a lot in the the chat about performance management. And Donna spoke to as well about the the quick check-ins and the ongoing check-ins throughout the year. So it's having those conversations, providing the context, um, the opportunity to provide feedback, as well as just the rating itself. Thank you. So it sounds, again, like the importance of that conversation that feeds into the narration, which feeds into a very effective, effective performance management evaluation. Yes. Um, could you speak? I think this is kind of a new concept for, it could be a new concept for a lot of our audience, that idea of how much time you're spending on your poor performers or high, per, high, high performers. Mm-hmm. Could you talk a little about why you think that we are drawn to always you know, kind of using our efforts with our low performers and why it's important to, and we talked about this already in the session, but just curious what your thoughts are, why, why, we're, why we're addressing the low performers with so much energy and what it, what it is we need to think about with our high performers as well. Yeah, so it could just be that the low performers are getting more time and attention because they're the ones causing the, the conflict, the issues, so mm-hmm. it's trying to figure out the best way to minimize the disruption. Mm-hmm. Um, it could also be um, an idea of fairness that um, you want to, tr- a supervisor might just be compelled to treat everybody the same way, so they don't want to point out the, the high performers. Um, but it is important to um, support and talk about what that support looks like with your high performer so as we saw some of the data earlier that you can retain them and you can motivate them because that's where the, you know, the, real, the, good, the good work gets done because they're high performers. Um, so it's talking about things, um, opportunities mm-hmm. um, within the work space, um, connections, exposure to maybe different levels of leadership or different people outside of your um, specific unit. Thanks. Yeah, I think that's really worth worth thinking about, kind of more in depth. Um, another question that I thought you might be able to help us with is, are there examples of what departments here at the U are doing to help develop their employees? And you've touched on a few things already. Mm-hmm. Do you have any anything else you could talk to us about in terms of what departments here at the U are doing to help develop their employees? Yeah, so at the university, there's a lot of really good practices out there and um, some really excellent things being done um, it could look like or examples that we've seen have been communication plans so um, having leaders um, share and define what the communications about performance management is across the year focusing on certain topics providing training for supervisors as how to um, provide feedback and also some navigation about what to talk about in those conversations, so they become more meaningful in that way. Great, thank you. So again, um, if there are any questions coming into our participants' minds at this point, based on anything Christina or Donna have said so far, please enter those into the Q&A, and we'll have some time in a few minutes after hearing from Brandon to address those more individual questions. Brandon, thank you for joining us too. Um, One of the questions based on your expertise and your experience here at the U in your position one of the questions that we've gotten over the years from our previous participants um, through evaluations and feedback has been if they are, it's kind of what to do. If they're currently in a department or unit or college that is, um, that is practicing a lot of these kind of counter practices that go against a lot of the best practices that we've talked about. I think that can be um, very demotivating, unmotivating for a lot of our supervisors and I was just wondering you know, what you would say to that. Uh, what can they do in that kind of situation?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I'm sure there aren't supervisors out there that deal with any sorts of process or system <laughs> that's kind of a pain, right? Yeah. No, that's, that's the classic thing with performance management, of and the university is no different. Um, you know, There are some practices that are worse than others in terms of taking up time and not yielding results. Yeah. So I would sort of say a couple of things. If you look at the short term, so if you're a supervisor, and you have a performance management process in your college or your unit that um, maybe is not aligned with the best practices we just talked about. right? So you're spending time doing things, checking boxes that really don't matter that much, um, and so on. Um, What you can really do in the short term is focus your time and energy on the things that work. And we just covered those things in in this webinar. We know what works and it's a few simple things around setting big challenging goals, doing ongoing uh, feedback and development, coaching, and in the review really focusing on you know impact and how that impact came about so what were the behaviors that the person engaged in that either contributed to or detracted from the performance and if you focus on those things then you're gonna have a good use of your time and you're gonna elevate the performance of your employees and you're gonna be developing them as well so then if you focus on that and there's these other things that you have to do as part of your process uh, that take up your time and energy do Just check the box on those. You got to get them done, right? That's, I would never advise a supervisor to not do the process that they have. Um, But, you know, don't give them a lot of time and energy. Don't spend time, you know, really complaining about them and ruminating about (laughs) them and, you know, talking about them. Focus on the things that matter and not, don't get distracted by the other things. Now, in the long run, so that's a short term solution, right? Is to focus on what works and, and tune out the distractions as much as you can. In the long run, um, part of the purpose actually of doing webinars like this is to get the knowledge out there mm-hmm. of what works and what's effective. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to get that really in the hands of all of our supervisors um, so that you can ask good questions mm-hmm. right locally. Mm-hmm. Ask your manager, ask your HR team, have conversations uh, with other supervisors. The pain points that managers have around performance management are pretty universal. Right? We talk with lots of groups, yeah. Yeah. lots of different areas mm-hmm. at the university, academic units, administrative units, all levels. We hear the same frustrations with performance management. And so if you start talking within your unit with other supervisors, you're probably going to hear similar sorts of things. Mm-hmm. So I think the, the key in long term is really to shift the conversation from sort of complaining about what doesn't work and pulling your hair out because you're spending time doing things that are frustrating yeah. um, and focusing on which of these best practices can you apply in your unit how might you change your process to simplify it, to focus it on what works, and to cut out the things that don't work? Um, it's uh, you know it's very important to do that, but it can take time. If you wanna have a change to your uh, review, your performance review in 2020, mm-hmm. you're gonna have to implement changes like in the next couple of months because you can't surprise employees with a new process at the end of the year. You've gotta start it. So it takes time to do that, but it's really about having those conversations, asking the good questions, using the knowledge um, to come up with ideas and solutions.
0: I like the way that you framed that with the short-term, what you can do now, and again, a lot of that is based on what we've talked about today, and also into the long-term, like what is it you want a year from now or two years from now? I think that's really important because people, we're impatient, I'm impatient. (laughs) We wanna see results today or tomorrow or next week, but we have to remember, too, our context and what we're working with. That brings me to one of the questions, which is, If people do want to raise questions about processes in their department or unit or college, um, how can they raise those questions in a way that's productive? Because we all complain. All of us, we complain. We raise issues. We talk to our coworkers. We talk to maybe our supervisor. But how do we do this in a way, if we really want to affect change, where do we start or what do we do to make that a more productive uh, form of communication?
1: Yeah. And, yeah, and this is where everybody vents about performance management, right? Uh, we all do it. I've done it. Um, I do it all the time, even in a good process, you know, sometimes. Um, uh, so really, I think the key is getting beyond that and, and not just focusing on what don't you like, um, but is really talking with others about what are the specific pain points? What are the things that you're spending time on that are clearly not adding any value? Um, or maybe they're even creating problems. You know, So a good example that comes up every year when we do this is uh, employee self-ratings, mm-hmm. right? If you have employees rate themselves, let's say you use a one to five scale, mm-hmm. if they rate themselves, you are creating a situation that's gonna create defensiveness. Mm-hmm. And that's gonna make the review hard, mm-hmm. right? It's gonna make it harder. Some units have now moved away from that and they've seen some positive results. Other units have this built into their process and so it's part of their process. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you start, talking about, well, why is this not helpful, right? Not just complaining about but well, why is this not helpful? What, how does this detract from the review? So if something creates defensiveness, you're not having a conversation that the employee is going to be receptive to listening to feedback and coaching and development because they're going to be feeling like they're being um, attacked or they're being judged unfairly or, or they have to defend their rating. This is just an example, but there's lots of pieces in the process that can do that. So think about that that way, and then what are some solutions? So if, you're, mm-hmm. if something is causing a problem or not adding value, what might you do? In some cases, maybe just eliminate it, right? That would be my recommendation <laughs> with self writings. You just get rid of it. Um, other things, um, like let's say you have a really long form, and you have to rate mm-hmm. someone on 35 competencies, and then write down all their goals, and write down all their, you know, it's this long thing. Um, you still wanna have a form, probably, right? Um, But you could simplify it and focus it on what matters, Mm -hmm. what the person accomplished, Mm -hmm. on the impact that they had, Mm -hmm. uh, and a description of maybe a few of the competencies that are really important for their role. So you simplify it.
0: Yeah, great. Thank you. I'm sure that got a lot of our participants, you know, kind of thinking about, ooh, what is it that I can do? What is it that I would like to see change? And one of the questions that has come up before that you're kind of making me think about is, too, is what's the cost of not ever speaking up or not, you know, not ever, kind of taking the effort to identify you know, the practices that you're involved with and how they're working.
1: Yeah. So what's so, the cost? Yeah, it's, it's big yeah. Uh, and there's two levels to it. Okay. So there's the immediate cost of the time that's wasted uh, going through a process that doesn't add value, that doesn't improve performance, that doesn't improve development, that actually makes people cynical um, and skeptical about even managing and developing talent, right? So there's that cost, the hours put in, yeah. which is probably enormous, yeah. it is in most yeah. institutions. Um, and then there's the the cost that's harder to quantify to the engagement level of your high potentials and high performers, the development that is never realized, right? So if you have people who go through um, you know, development coaching and a good process and they learn and they grow and they're engaged versus there's just a focus on this process that's broken and doesn't work you know project that Mm -hmm. forward a few years Mm -hmm. big big impact in terms of the engagement Mm -hmm. level of your workforce you're probably going to lose your high potentials because as we know from the engagement work if you're highly committed but frustrated you probably aren't going to hang around real long Mm -hmm. Um, and so there's a lot of different elements of cost to this and I would go back to something that Christina talked about in terms of those high performers high potentials that's really the cost of a bad process is you're not engaging them, developing them and retaining them. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're a really critical part of the workforce, obviously.
0: Great, thank you, thank you. So at this point, um, I I think we'll go into the Q&A from our audience and we'll continue to address these issues a little bit more um, specifically to what the questions are today. One of the questions that's come through so far from Betsy is that you know we like Brandon I think you might want to address this is that self ratings don't work but the use form has that as part of the form how do we, how should we handle this and I'm not you know maybe you know about what form she's referring to
1: well here's right I would clarify there is no university form um, the forms are determined at the local level that means the college uh, or unit level and in some cases multiple units have gotten together and share a form or a process um, so, you know, if you're, and I know self-ratings are used in some forms, and I know that over the last year, since this issue surfaced, I think in our webinar last year, mm-hmm. or might have been two years ago, <laughs> um, a number of units have removed self-ratings oh. uh, from their form, okay. um, because it, I mean, it, in some ways it's kind of common sense, it's going to create defensiveness, and it doesn't really add a lot of value, but some, you know, because it's a complicated process, it's not always easy to just remove something from a form that hundreds or thousands of people use. Um, so, you know, I would say that's one where if you have that in your form, mm-hmm. be ready to have a little bit of defensiveness in that conversation mm-hmm. um, and don't be surprised by it, but try to move past it, you know, mm-hmm. don't dwell on it, don't, you know, spend a lot of time trying to defend your rating and explain why the employee's rating isn't what, you know, it is. And that's where I think it's about try not to get too distracted or spend too much time on something. Um, but you probably have to do it at least for now. But then long term, Mm -hmm. you know, I would say raise this issue. Um, You know, raise this issue with your your HR team. You know, they're part of this talent and performance management working group that we're doing. So all of the HR professionals across the system right now, we're all looking into how we can improve performance management. So, you know, make your voice heard.
0: Great. Yeah. So I think that's a perfect question that kind of led into what you were talking about earlier. Great, Betsy. I hope that's helpful and the other supervisors who are also dealing with that situation. Um, another question that came through. This is from. Oh, great, Betsy. <laughs> Thanks for the feedback. Another question that came through. Um, this is just a clarification question, I think, from Matt. But what do we mean when we say local? We I think we mentioned this earlier um, about performance management and how it's determined on a local level. Does anyone want to speak to uh, well, a way I, to answer? What that. I
1: think what I, I would just repeat maybe what I said that it's determined at the college or unit level, um, but in some cases multiple units have gotten together. Mm-hmm. So you may share a system with other units, but it is ultimately determined at that level.
0: Thank you. Anything else to add? Um, another person's asking, um, they, some, about clarifying SMART goals. Yeah. So the question was, um, you know, that SMART goals were the way to go. What is it, and I mentioned this in the webinar earlier, if any of you wanted to talk to this, why is it that SMART goals aren't always the way to go? Why don't they work?
2: I can try that one and you guys can chime in if you want. Uh, one thing about the SMART goals, and I, you know, I think they're good as far as it goes, but they, what can happen is we can get so focused on developing goals, especially um, at the outset of the year, and those goals can so quickly change as new things come up. I mean, the, it's just sort of assumed that things are moving along at a pretty fast uh, pace. And so that's why um, I think folks have been talking about doing carefully, um, uh, you know, crafted more but more broad goals. Um, and then, I don't know, Brandon, do you want to, is there anything else you want to say about the measurement piece of it? I don't think
0: so. I mean, okay. Well, okay. I could add another yeah. uh, another kind of framework, um, could be simple goals, so it's, t- it's making sure that the goals are specific, important, mm-hmm. and measurable, mm-hmm. but it's really more okay. focusing on what does the employee need to be working on and making sure that
2: they have a clear understanding about what success looks like for their role. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just want to kind of underscore what we were talking about that, that things shift and change so quickly. We want to be flexible and adaptable in our goals. And that's why it's important to have that constant communication with employees in terms of. Thanks, you guys. Great.
1: Okay. Yeah, there's a, a one question that I want to uh, address because it's something that comes up a lot and it's another practice that, that could be put in place uh, locally. And, and some units do this. So the question is how do you deal with supervisors who rate all or most of their employees as exceptional? And this is something that, that happens a, a lot of times, I mean it's, it's uh, kind of a in human nature The people who report to you, um, we tend to over-evaluate them, I mean it just, it's just a bias that, that people have. And this is why um, a lot of organizations do uh, what's called calibration, um, and this is a best practice and it works well when it's done well. Um, and this is usually something that is facilitated uh, or led by a uh, human resource uh, business partner Um, But the idea is that because supervisors tend to over evaluate their direct reports, um, you have a process you go through where you meet with groupings of supervisors, so if it's, let's say, within a unit, all of the managers in that unit or all the directors in that unit uh, would sit down and go through a systematic process of talking through the ratings that they're giving and the rationale for those ratings. And then there's discussion among the group, and that discussion may be challenging those ratings or offering other information about different employees, um, offering different perspectives. And then the idea is by the end of that, you've calibrated so that everybody, all of the supervisors, are using the same criteria. um, And then, you know, that often will, coming out of calibration, you will make adjustments uh, to those ratings. And so, If a supervisor comes into that, they're giving everybody the maximum rating, they better be ready to explain why every single one of their direct reports deserves that rating. Um, And and that creates a much more more equitable, uh, more objective process. And my observation is that that is done some places at the university, but many places it is not. Um, And that's the best way to address that issue.
0: Thanks, Brandon. I think we have time for one more question before we go into our final announcements. Uh, this is a question from Jennifer. If a supervisee, and this is probably a very common type of question, is if a supervisee is resistant to meeting weekly and their past behavior suggests they fear conflict and feedback, should I recommend they participate in training or workshop on conflict management? So I think the question really here is I'm trying to make these weekly or these check-ins happen and I'm getting some kind of resistance to this from my, the pers- my direct report. So how, what, do you have any recommendations for how a, a supervisor should um, proceed with something like this? Or what they should be keeping in mind?
2: I think there's lots of ways to answer yeah, that question. No, so what I, comes to mind? Yeah, I, I'll weigh, um, weigh in and then if you guys want to add anything. So my question back to the supervisor is how is it, um, and I, I mean this in the most respectful way, how is it that your employee can determine if they're going to meet um, with you or not? I mean, I think as a as a supervisor, you get to call the meeting with your employee. And, you know, sort of kind of feel empowered in that. And I get, you know, sometimes people will do pushbacks. But it's important um, to discuss what they're working on, what their goals are, to ensure that they're meeting them. And um, I think it's this is one where the supervisor will want to, Kind of prepare how he's going to approach it. Good she. So going back to that
0: preparation, yeah, and then just kind of doing your best to say, you mm-hmm. know, if not today, then tomorrow, you know, this is going to happen. Yeah, very, I think very just challenging. Feel though. empowered
1: that you can do it. Mm-hmm.
0: Yes, of course, yes, yes, of course. Anything to add to that?
1: Well, I, yeah, I mean, I, I think that it, it's an expectation that you as a supervisor will set, is you think about what kind of you know, routine makes sense given your direct reports and the work. You know, is a half hour a week what works for you or an hour a month? I mean, there's different things that work. But once you decide what works for you, then setting that expectation with all of your direct reports and, and having those discussions is, is part of the job. Um, and, and I would say that it, it, in my experience, is pretty rare that employees um, don't want to have that kind of time. Um, and when they don't, um, it often means that there is something wrong. Uh, sometimes it's a performance problem that they know is there but that maybe you as a supervisor hasn't, you haven't really addressed it and so they're kind of afraid every time they meet with you you're going to bring it up. That happens a lot (laughs) uh, when there's this sort of situation. Um, Other times, um, you know, employees may not no, what, what do I use my manager for, right? Oh, I'm doing my work, <laughs> it's going well, why do I need to talk to my supervisor about this? And so that's something where, that actually happens a lot. Mm. Um, and when that happens, then you can have a discussion about the purpose of the check-ins. Um, it might be helpful to put in place a specific you know, agenda that, that's flexible. But that provides some structure and some, you know, kind of answers the question of well, why, why are we meeting uh, on, mm-hmm. on a regular basis? Mm-hmm. As, and then, you know, uh, the way that it works with, real, with high performers uh, typically is that they, they actually are the ones that bring the agenda to the one-on-one, right? They come in because they're thinking, okay, I, in order for me to be successful, what do I need my supervisor to help me with? What do I need their input on? What barriers do I need them to help me remove to get my work done? So actually, that's you know kind of where you want to get to with a lot of uh, employees. Now, not every job is going to be like that, but in a lot of jobs, um, that's how you—that's a place you want to get to.
0: Great, thanks. So I hope that I hope that was helpful. Kind of thinking about the different ways you can approach um, an issue like that. In the interest of time, I'm going to have to cut short the Q&A at this point. If thank you everyone for submitting your questions. There's some really good questions in there. We will answer them and we'll post them into our Q&A. on on the website, and we'll let you know when we do that. Um, At this point, there are a few announcements before we end the session. Uh, One of the questions that came up today was where do we find the Quick Guide? And the Quick Guide, so the the site that you see in front of you, supervising.umn.edu, this is the place you can go to find Quick Guides for any of the modules, any of the topics in, in SDC, including the ones that we talked about today. So we were going through this content rather quickly today, and as a reminder, This webinar is only meant to whet your appetite. So to learn more, again, you can explore the Supervisory Development website at supervising.umn.edu where we have the quick guides that you can download for your reference. Um, For today's module, you can check out Module 2, Managing and Evaluating Performance. Specifically, take a look at the Quick Guide to Goal Setting, which walks through some important steps of how to set effective goals. In addition, for more information about check-ins, take a look at our check-in template found on the SDC site. Thanks everyone for your attendance today. We hope you find this information useful and relevant to your performance management processes. We look forward to talking with you again soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Supervisory Development Course Podcast. Please explore the Managing and Evaluating Performance resources on the supervising.umn.edu site. There, you'll find videos, guides, and more to help you plan, coach, and evaluate performance throughout the year. The Supervisory Development Course podcast is created by Leadership and Talent Development within the Office of Human Resources at the University of Minnesota. If you have questions or would like to reach out, please email us at ltd at umn.edu.